Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so much for rocking with me for another week of the Quarterly Report. Can't believe it, man. We're three weeks away from episode 50. I'm super excited about that, but I'm even more excited about this week's episode. My guy, Troy Macker, is going to stop by. He is the senior producer of digital content at NBC Sports Washington and the host of his March-only podcast, So obviously with a title like that, we're going to be discussing March Madness in the NCAA tournament. Also, I owe one athlete a huge, a huge apology. All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this first quarter. Oftentimes, when you are emotionally invested into anything, honestly, but specifically when it comes to sports, it is hard to have a level-headed uh, discussion, conversation, if you will. And it's happening real time where I live, right outside of Washington, D.C. At the time of this recording, the Washington Wizards are the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. But so when you hear that, that doesn't necessarily sound like, you know, something to, to rave about. However, they're currently in the midst of the third toughest schedule in the NBA. And they're doing all of this without their best player, their star player, their franchise player, John Wall. If you are outside of this D.C. area, you know, you probably have heard this discussion a few times on the, the, you know, the marquee sports talk shows, maybe even a little bit on sports radio. But in the D.C. area, the DMV, what they call it here, like this has been a discussion, maybe not necessarily a lot on the airwaves, but in the community, you know what I'm saying, in the shops, on the courts, at the rec center, wherever the case you may be, the grocery store, the church, people are really having this, having this discussion. At the time of this recording, the Wizards just beat the Miami Heat on Tuesday, Tuesday night. I believe there are 11-5 and five during this stretch without John Wall, which is incredible, okay? There's, there's no way you can diminish that. What makes that number even more spectacular in my opinion is three of those five losses were on the second night of back-to-backs one of them includes a loss at the hands of the golden state warriors so even if john was playing in that game the wizards wouldn't have won but whatever the case 11 and 5 without your best player that's nothing to sneeze at and it's not just the record it's not just the competition it's the style of which the Wizards are playing. So initially, you know, talking the area was like, oh, you know, because nationally there was a whole bunch. Before John went out, there was this whole big fuss about, man, you know, there are chemistry issues and something's going on, the Wizards locker room, yada, yada, yada. And there was a lot of, I guess, momentum nationally about what's going on with the Wizards, especially how it relates to John Wall. And unfortunately for John, he gets hurt shortly thereafter. And then what what even compounds that is that the Wizards then go on this stretch. And there was a lot of talk about the Wizards being better without John Wall. Now, let me shut that down, right? That was quickly killed in the area, locally. While nationally, people took that and ran with it. Locally, it was like, yo, man, let's chill out. John Wall is one of the best 20 players in the league. There really isn't a way you could say that 
a team without a top 20 player is better, okay? And it was easily dismissed. That kind of talking point was dismissed locally. And you've seen different star players, different coaches uh, kind of also chime in saying how ridiculous that sounds. But now, right, with a 16-game sample, okay, during the third hardest stretch in the league, I'm not... I still don't think the Wizards are better without John Wall, but I'm not ready to dismiss it the way I was two weeks ago. Because this is the thing. When you're um, the, the further away from this, the further away from the Wizards, the further you are removed from an emotional attachment to John Wall, I think the clearer you can see it. It reminds me in many ways of the Clippers. And I talked about this a few weeks back. You know, the people in L.A., the people who were close to Blake Griffin, or who were really big fans of uh, Chris Paul and what the Clippers were doing, they were the guys year after year and after year, the guys and gals saying, hey, the Clippers, they just need one more year. You can't break up the Clippers. You can't break up the Clippers. I mean, this was like a, a consistent theme for four seasons where it was clear the further you were removed, right, the, the less emotional attachment you had to that team or those players, it was clear they needed to blow that up. They needed to make a move, trade Blake, trade DeAndre, something to make that thing continue, to keep that, that nucleus or to keep that fringe championship contender mentality together. But they kept on bringing the same guys back. And then before you know it, this past offseason and this year, honestly, the thing just blew up. There, there is always a clock. The window for everybody. Some window, some windows have a larger opening than others, but everyone has a window. And you don't know, you don't know the timing. You don't know when that alarm clock is going to hit and when that window is going to close. And with the Wizards, and I've talked about this in the past, how historically speaking, it's not the success rate of building a team with two guards taking the the majority of your shots. It just doesn't work. I've talked about it in the past, but specifically as it relates to this current situation with John Wall and the Wizards, I'm not willing to say it's time to to think about a to to think about making a, a major shakeup. But it can't be easily dismissed anymore. Okay, we got a 16 game sample size, and a 16 game sample size during the hardest stretch that this, this team will have all year. And I feel for John because, look, John Wall is one of my favorite players. He's easily one of my top 10 favorite players, and he's closer to five than he is to 10. So, you know, it's something that you take for granted. Like, I can go. My daughter, she loves John Wall. My daughter doesn't like the Wizards, but she loves John Wall. It's weird. I don't know. But you take it for granted. I can go see one of the best 20 basketball players in the world 41 times a year. I can go to the Verizon Center, or I'm sorry, the Capital One Arena. I can watch John Wall play 82 nights. You take that for granted, and it's a luxury because obviously every team doesn't have that. So, yeah, the closer you are to John, and also I don't think people quite understand nationally, right, what John Wall means to this current crop of Wizards fans. Like before John, and yeah, Gilbert had a run. But the way Gilbert's tenure ended was just, you can't even, 
there aren't words to properly describe it, or at least I don't have the words to describe it. People at one time thought Gilbert was a rival, a peer of LeBron. And at the time, it felt that way. I mean, you look at guys like James Harden. James Harden is like the evolution of what Gilbert Arenas was, you know, 10, 10 11 years ago. So the way Gilbert's tenure here ended, it was it was like the Wizards, they, it was worse than a laughing stock because of the, the situation that this team found itself in. It was some serious stuff in addition to the silliness, right? But John comes here and he changed everything. Like this stretch that the Wizards are currently in, they'll make the playoffs for five out of six years. That's the that's the most the, the most sustained success that the Wizards, not the Bullets, but the Wizards have ever had. So there is a generation of fans who who only know success from the Wizards with John Wall. There's also another generation of fans, an older generation, who it was like shameful if you were a Bullets fan and you're in your 50s or whatever, and then there's like generations of just awful organizational I mean, from top to bottom. And then John comes, and then shortly thereafter is Brad and Otto, and then you got a team who you feel that could make a run in the Eastern Conference. So there's a sense of pride. Like John Wall's arrival in D.C. is a pivotal moment for the Wizards for multiple generations. So I get it. There is an attachment to John, an emotional attachment. But oftentimes that emotion will blind you from what is, I'm not going to say it's clear, but there's what the Wizards stretch currently has shown us without a shadow of a doubt is that this team is best suited playing in this style, right? This team needs to play in the style of basketball, the style of offense that they are playing now without John, meaning the ball moves. They're, they're racking up like 30 plus assists. You know what I mean? The three point, and it's not a coincidence. Now Otto was hurt again and he's got a hip issue. But it's not a coincidence that when the ball moves this way, Otto looks like a star, right? Because he doesn't, Otto's game isn't based on creating his own shot. Otto's game is high IQ, find the open spot, let me get, let me fit in where I get in. You know what I mean? And he's really, really great at that. Otto is an efficient basketball player. And when the ball moves, you see how spectacular he can be. Brad is thriving. You know, I don't like him playing point guard, but he's thriving in terms of getting his own shots. And he also moves the ball as well. Turns the ball over a lot, but he moves the ball well. He's not a guy who likes to pound the ball in this current system. Thomas Sandoransky has turned out the free saddle movement in D.C. is real and it's been real. But nationally, people are now starting to understand like, yo, this Sandoransky kid is pretty good. Scott Brooks needs to play him more consistently. You know what I mean? Like, go without not playing him for a fourth quarter like he did a few nights ago. But that's another point altogether. But the point is, it's clear. The term everybody eats has been used, right? And that's exactly what is happening. The ball moves. And when the ball moves, this offense is thriving. It is clear without a shadow of a doubt. This is the best. This is how you best utilize this Wizards team with the ball moving. So the question isn't. Are the Wizards better without John? Because that's silly, right? And it's lazy and it ignores a lot of factors. The question should be, however, can John Wall 
be a star in this new system? Like, can John Wall play well in this new system? Because if they go back to the style they played before John got hurt, then there's a problem. John is a smart guy. And John is watching from the sidelines every night. And he's seeing what type of success this team has had. He has to understand as the point guard, okay, I have to adjust my game. But here lies the problem. If you've ever played in a team sport, and I don't even care, you know, what level, whether it's D1 or, you know, your church league or whatever the case may be. A team, a locker room, a huddle, whatever the case may be, it's like the food chain. You know what I mean? Everyone knows who the big dog is. It doesn't even have to be said. If you're a gazelle, if you're an elephant, if you're a giraffe, right? The lion doesn't have to roar for you to understand, okay, let me chill out. I see, I see the lion coming. You don't have to. Nothing has to be said. And the guys on the Wizards, they know. You know, forget about the games. In the games, it's clear. You know what I'm saying? My daughter can watch a Wizards game, and she readily can be like, oh, that's John Wall. Without, you know what I mean? You, watch, you put a child in front of the Wizards, and they're like, ooh, who's number two? Because it's clear. But take that stuff away. Imagine what these guys see in practice from John in the offseason when they're just playing around. You know what I mean? They know. They know that John is the big dog. So when he comes back, it can't just be John trying to acquiesce to everyone to fit in. Because if John struggles in this new style, all the other guys will fall in line because they know. And that's not it. And that's not an indictment on John. It's not like I'm saying John is selfish and he'll try to, you know, try to, you know, rock the boat. John could have every intention of just saying, look, I'm just going to fit in. I'm going to let everybody else do what they were doing without me. But that doesn't work because everybody knows who's at top of the food chain. Now, unless there's unless Brad does something, you know what I mean? Because there could be a, a, a legitimate discussion there. But even then, I don't think that Brad has the the kind of aggressive nature that John does. You know what I'm saying? So when John comes back, people will, will look to him. And if he's playing this new style but isn't playing well, naturally, like it will just naturally happen that it will resort back to the style that that the Wizards have done before his injury, where he is the focal point. And that's the problem. The question isn't whether the Wizards are better without John, because that's silly. Not as silly as it once was, however. The question should be, can John thrive in this new offense? Because without question, the Wizards play better playing this style. And I feel for John, man, I, as much as you can feel for a person who's not hurting physically or, you know, in a, in a tough situation, emotional, whatever, and someone that you I don't know, I feel for him because he's under, um, I mean, imagine the pressure that he's under. When he comes back, it's not like he's going to have 30 games to get himself in the playoff shape. He may have like 10 games to get himself together before the playoffs start, with everyone looking at every play, every turnover, every missed shot, if they, if when he comes back and they lose three games, you know what's going to happen. And that's right before the playoffs. But here's the flip side. If John does thrive in this style, 
if John can find and not just play well, but be the superstar top 20 player that we know he is in this new system. I who do I mean, who do you have confidence in more than the Wizards? If John comes back playing superstar basketball with this style of play, what team do you have more confidence in? Like, because we all have confidence in LeBron, but I don't necessarily think we have confidence in the Cavaliers. There's a difference. I honestly think if John can thrive in this new style with Sadoransky and Otto and Brad and Keith and Jody Meeks, like all these guys, Ubre, all these guys playing well with this style, then the Wizards, you got to put them up there atop the Eastern Conference. And I'm not saying just to get to the conference championship. I mean to get to the finals if John can thrive in the system. But we don't know if he can. And therein lies the issue, right? There are people who are already saying that John, the Wizards are obviously better. And they will obviously be better when John returns. And I'm not, I don't think anyone can say that for certain. But then there are also people who are saying, you know, the flips, the, 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 the complete opposite. That now they are convinced that the Wizards are better without John. And that's unfair because we haven't even given him a chance. We have to allow him to play. We, we don't know. And it's, it sucks if you're a Wizard fan because he's not going to get a lot of opportunity to, to work the rust off. I mean, the guy is coming off of surgery and he's going to be thrown right into the fire. That's not... That's not an easy task. But you know what? This is Wolf season. Remember? He wanted the responsibility. He wanted the leadership role. He's got it. <laughs> to whom much is given, much is asked, baby. And right now, when John comes back, all eyes will be on him. And it's up to him to put up a shut up. I feel for him. Because, again, I'm biased. I'm emotionally attached to John Wall. He's one of my favorite players. He's one of my daughter's favorite players. I can see him 82 nights. Whenever I want to watch basketball, when the Wizards are playing, I can watch John Wall. I'm attached. If you're a Wizards fan, I get it. You're attached. But don't let your emotions blind you from what's clear. It's up to John to change his game, to adjust his game, to make the Wizards a, a contender to get to the finals. So nobody else but number two. All right, guys, that was the first quarter. Let me know if you agree or not. Do you think the Wizards are better without John Wall? Do you think it's actually now a debate, a discussion? Hit me up on Twitter. You can hit me up at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or you can email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the Wizards, John Wall, the NBA, a whole variety of topics. But we're going to keep things moving with our second topic this week. Second quarter. I've said this in the past, but one of the things I like the most about myself is that when I'm wrong, I readily admit I, I, I come clean. Now, this isn't something that I've always had the ability to do. But as I've gotten older, I feel like I've done a pretty good job. Now, I don't think I'm wrong that much. <laughs> OK, but when I am wrong, I, I don't I don't do the Skip Bayless thing. You know what I'm saying? Where I keep on finding new ways to rip LeBron. When I'm wrong, I feel confident and comfortable enough in my own skin to be like, yo, I had that wrong. I've been wrong a lot recently. I was wrong about Bradley Beal. 
I was wrong about the Black Panther being a box office success. And last weekend, although I thought Deontay Wilder would win, I was wrong. Last week's show, I came at Deontay Wilder, and I've, I've been critical of Wilder for as long as this show's been on the air and years before. But last Saturday, I don't know if you guys saw it on Showtime, man. It was a hell of a heavyweight fight between Luis Ortiz and Deontay Wilder. And like I said, I thought Wilder would win leading into the fight. But man, the way he won, that joint was, it was awesome. He showed heart. He showed a chin, you know, and he showed that when it comes to it, even though he was fighting a boxer, a boxer who who deserves credit, don't get me wrong, Luis Ortiz showed gave himself a great showing, but he's limited, right? He's not the most physically conditioned fighter, and he doesn't have a reach. You know what I mean? So Ortiz is a limited boxer, but he's a hell of a boxer. And Wilder showed that, you know what? He could put his ass down because he has lightning in that right glove. And because of that, and because of the man I am, when I'm wrong, I will admit it, we're going to have a special edition of Angry Man this week because Angry Man's going to holler at me for being so wrong with Deontay Wilder. Man, sit your ass down. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, I got to sit my ass down because what Wilder proved on Saturday versus Luis Ortiz in Brooklyn at the Barclays is like he is the He's legit. Okay? He's legit. And that's part of what my my problem with Wilder was. Like, you don't know how good someone is until you step in the ring with legit competition. Iron sharpens iron. So when Wilder beats up on some Uber driver, it didn't really move me because he's beating up on an Uber driver. But what he did to Ortiz, I was like, if you are a fan of boxing, you had to, you had to take notice. It's like, okay. This guy is way better than I thought. And he not and, and this so, and this is what I love about boxing. And I hope, I hope, because I'm a huge boxing fan. I hope promoters and fighters and trainers look at this, right? And understand that I get it. Everybody wants to protect that win-loss record. Everybody wants to remain undefeated. But losing isn't always the worst. And when you fight someone who is a legit competent fighter, where there's a legit threat that you can lose, you gain so much more. Luis Ortiz was the loser, and he comes out with far more respect than he had coming in. And Deontay Wilder, he just put up a million plus on Showtime going up against UFC going up against the NBA, going up against North Carolina and Duke, and going up against Kovalev. He put up a million plus. And what that does, right, now the build for Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, is even higher than you could have imagined five months ago. And people were calling for this fight for, for like over a year now. Well, about a year. After, People wanted the fight before AJ fought Klitschko, but once AJ fought Klitschko, that that the the hype between a Joshua Wilder fight hit what we thought was fever pitch. But now, 
after the showing that Wilder put up against a legit and competent and very good heavyweight, this fight could be a pay-per-view fight now. Now, we know across the pond, AJ's, I mean, he's A1. He's selling out stadiums. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you're in England, Sky Sports, or if you're in Europe, you know you got to pay for that fight whenever Wilder and Wilder and Joshua do decide to fight. I'm, I'm sorry. AJ is top billing over there. But in the States, over here, Wilder's performance, the fact that Wilder got in the ring with an elite fighter, that propelled him to a huge payday. A huge payday. This fight now, now, you know, Joshua's got, he's got work to do. You know, he's got to get through Parker in a few weeks. But we all expect him to do so. And at this point, there are no there are no other options, right? Joshua has talked about unifying the division, get the belt from Parker, and then you got to, at this point, this is what people want. There, there is no other option. AJ Wilder, we got to get it. We got to get it. And I'm so excited because now, I'm starting to quite like Deontay Wilder by no means is a perfect boxer. Like my criticism of him technically is still there. It's still the same. He keeps his hands down. He is reckless. He chases the haymaker. He doesn't jab as much as he should. He doesn't go to the body. Okay. Like those things didn't change on Saturday. In fact, those things almost got his head knocked off in the seventh round. And trust me, if Anthony Joshua hits Deontay Wilder with the punches that Luis Ortiz hit him with in the seventh round, Wilder goes down. There is no doubt in my mind. Like Ortiz, he jabbed. Ortiz was throwing double and triple jabs to Wilder when Wilder had the reach. You know AJ's going to do that. You know AJ's going to do that. And I still think that the punch that will put Wilder down is the uppercut because he keeps his hands down. He chases haymakers, and his head always leans forward. I still think Anthony Joshua will knock out Deontay Wilder. However, Anthony Joshua is far from a, a perfect fighter himself. And what you saw on Saturday is that Wilder has lightning in that right glove, and at any given moment, if that thing lands, even if it doesn't land flush, you are on Dream Street. And we've seen AJ get we've seen AJ go down before. And we've seen AJ leave himself vulnerable for a big time, not just one punch, but multiple punch combinations. Now, another criticism of Wilder, he doesn't he doesn't string his punches like that. Okay? But but the, but all that aside, we know we're going to get fireworks when those two men get in the ring. We know it. It is a guaranteed you know, 100% stamp of approval. Somebody will go night-night. And when heavyweights put Bama's to sleep, Joe, who who doesn't like that? Who doesn't enjoy that? Plus, you got two, you know, sharp dudes, charismatic, both guys. First language is, uh, is English, okay? Like, this is the fight that we've been waiting decades for at this point now. I mean... I shouldn't say decades, but the last time we had this type of fight, and even then when Lennox fought Tyson, Tyson was way past his prime, and Lennox wasn't the exciting fighter 
that either AJ or um, Wilder are. And I'm not saying that Wilder or Joshua are better fighters than Lennox. They're not, obviously. But they weren't exciting fighters. Like, these two guys come in with one goal in mind, and that's to knock your head off. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And who doesn't love that? Who doesn't love that? So, as a boxing fan, and we've seen, like, the, the, the era of super fights, quote-unquote super fights, like, we're in it now. It was a long, cold war, but, man, if you start from last year, man, we had Frampton, you know, Leo, twice. We had Kovalev, Ward, twice. You know, we had Klitschko, Joshua. We had Ndongo and Bud. We had um, Lomachenko and Ragondiao, Golovkin and Triple G. Kell and Spence, Thurman, Garcia. I mean, we are in the we are in the moment where we get the fights that we want. And now, now we get that at the heavyweight division. Again, I like AJ. He's not a perfect fighter by any stretch of the imagination. But now, this fight is seasoned. This fight is ready. It's marinated. Anthony Joshua, if he gets past Parker, which we all expect him to do, I don't want to hear anything else. I don't want to hear anything else. There is no other option, even if Tyson Fury gets his stuff together. Nah, he's got to wait in line because the fight that everybody wants to see, the fight that we deserve, the fight that Deontay Wilder has earned is ready, and it's going to be a moneymaker, not just overseas, but in the States. It's time. And it's also time for Angry Man to once again hit yours truly with those magical words. Man, sit your ass down. Yeah, man, I had to sit my ass down. Man, I, I apologize to Deontay Wilder because he he showed me he showed me more in those ten rounds on Saturday than he has in the previous seven years. All right, guys, you heard the horn. You know what that means. The first half is in the books. We are approaching halftime, but before we get to halftime. Little house cleaning. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. We're at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. You can also email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Make sure you go to Apple I or Apple Podcast, excuse me, Apple Podcast or iTunes to subscribe to the show. Again, we're quarterly report. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Report. You'll see my face. On a coin, that'll be the icon for the show page. Click on that. Subscribe to the show. And while you're at it, please rate and review. Let me, let the world, let your friends, let everyone know what you think about the show. And we're now on Instagram at Quarterly Report. Got a lot of dope stuff. You know, we got uh, snippets from the interview, some behind the scenes stuff that you haven't heard that didn't make the show. And I got my Wire NBA mix. There are a lot of fun stuff on instagram page so you guys make sure you check that out as well all right so you guys know every other week we have a segment right before halftime called stoppage time it's where i read some of the emails that i get from you guys and we've got a few this week um our first email comes from harry from miami so you know got a, some fans from the sunshine state what's going on harry and his question is and i love this one what did i think of atlanta 
All right, so the podcast, the show Atlanta, I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, the podcast comes out on Thursday. Atlanta also comes out on Thursday. So I'm assuming you're talking about uh, the season debut that uh, happened, um, I guess, what, March 1st, last Thursday. And, and let me tell you something. In the time since the initial airing and this recording, I have seen that episode probably six times. And I laugh so hard each and every time. You know, a few episodes ago, I was talking about how, you know, we doing too much with rebooting television shows and like Roseanne Barr shows coming back. And they were talking about bringing back Martin and, you know, Hawaii Five O and all this other stuff. And I was saying, man, there's so many great stories that can be told that are very much 2018 or 2000. And, you know, this this time, this day and age. Mr. Robot is like my favorite show, but I, I forgot to mention Atlanta. Mr. Robot and Atlanta are far and away my favorite television shows. And they are very much a new age, new era television show. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just bring back Martin after 20 some odd years and expect it to have, expect it to be the same. Part of what made Martin so great, and I'm assuming what made, you know, Roseanne so great is it was fresh for that time in 1989 and 1990 that was the cutting age you know what i mean the 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 new and innovative show like that's not the case anymore you just can't nah that's not that's not it and then what atlanta does atlanta is real as hell and atlanta will fit i how they weave all these different topics together in like 30 some odd minutes and then still keep it humorous it's amazing to me man like they were talking about like you know getting in the you know earn having to you know getting arrested and getting in the system and how like you know once you're in the system everybody doesn't have the finances to get themselves out and how the criminal justice system is a business and it's a business to keep a lot of people just stuck there right and you deal with that and you deal with you know they said the guy, his uncle was, you know, unstable, was a vet. You deal with, like, all this stuff like that that that, that comes with. But then you're still laughing at Florida man and alligator man. Like, and Cat Williams, man, he stole the show, something serious. Like, that episode of Atlanta was so funny. So funny. And I can't wait till tonight to see the second episode, man, because, I mean, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. So to answer your question, Harry, man, I loved it. I loved it. I love Atlanta. Again, Atlanta and Mr. Robot are like my two favorite shows. And that doesn't even include like, you know, the stuff that comes on like Netflix and Hulu. Like we don't need the, the, the whole reboot phase. We got to we got to kill that, man. Nobody trying to, try to live back in 1989 anymore. Get out of here, Joe. Like they have new stories. They're fresh stories to tell. Huh, I, I could go all day on this. So to answer your question, I loved Atlanta. All right, question number two, and this is a good one. I, I've actually waited for something like this because I felt like, uh, you know, some of the people who are close to me have also echoed this, this from time to time. But this comes from Mo from D.C. Shout out to Mo. And he says, quote, you, you're a Nick fan, but why are you always talking about my whiz? We way better than y'all. Stop hating on us and talk about your trash team, end quote. All right. So, Mo, thank you for checking in, listening to the show. I do talk about the Wizards a lot. Uh, I talked about the Wizards at the beginning of this episode, matter of fact. So, I'm sure you're going to enjoy that. But, yo, 
I can talk about the Knicks all day long, Slim. Like, no bull. I can talk about the Knicks till your ears bleed. But here's the thing. You're right. My Knicks are trash. And not only are they trash, they're not, they're not interesting. They're not interesting at all. Our best player is hurt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The day after he gets hurt, we traded his, his best friend. Not just his best friend in the league, but his best friend since he was like 13 years old for a second round pick. There's nothing interesting about the Knicks. So I could talk about the Knicks. I talk about the Knicks all the time when I'm not doing a show. But if I were to talk about the Knicks to y'all on this show, A, y'all wouldn't like it. And B, y'all would stop listening. So that wouldn't, that, that would do you no good. It would do me no good. You feel me? I talk about the Wizards, not just because I live close to the Wizards, not just because I watch the I watch the Wizards more than I watch my Knicks, but the Wizards are fascinating. Slim, if you watch the if you watch the Wizards, it's like every game they play comes down to the last minute. Number one, they've got issues with their best player, which I talked about in the first quarter, with him playing. When he was playing, there were questions there were questions about chemistry. Bam is a quote and paid in full. Marcin Gortat is tweeting reckless. You understand? They are a fun team. They are a fun team to watch, and they are a, a far more interesting team to, to try to understand and to talk about. So, nah, man, I'm not hating. Like, again, I want, I like the Wizards, bro. I want the Wizards to win. I get to go to a playoff game. I get to take my daughter to playoff games. <laughs> That's not going to happen in New York. And if it does, I'm not going to be able to afford it. You feel me? So, nah, Slim, I'm not hating on your Wizards. I like the Wizards. John Wall is one of my favorite players. But, yeah, I talk about the Wizards, and I'm going to keep on talking about the Wizards. You understand? Because in D.C., and Mo, you know, you in the city, so you understand, there are not that many places that you could go to hear Wizards talk, like real Wizards talk. And hopefully, you know, I think I provide uh, a higher level of the standard, you know, cliches that get regurgitated oftentimes so you know hopefully you get something from it i feel you that's your squad so you're gonna be a little bit you know sensitive with it but hey man don't 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 feel that way you know i like the wizards you know but hey there's there's some real questions existing around your team but no i'm not going to talk about my Knicks because they suck you are right about that <laughs> all right y'all that was stoppage time so that's going to lead us straight to halftime at halftime this week, you know, there are a lot of names, a lot of famous names looking for some advice this week. So, as often the case, we head to the Hotline Bling Studios for the quarterly report, our call center, to give some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment some advice that they desperately need. Check it out. Hey, what's going on? This is the quarterly report Hotline Bling Call Center. You have questions, we do our best to answer them. All right, first caller, what's your name and where you're from? Hello, yes. Long time listener, first time caller. My name is Saul, but everyone calls me Canelo. I recently failed the drug test because I had tainted chicken. Unfortunately, no one believes me, and now my next job is really under a lot of scrutiny. What can I do to get people to believe me? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Saul. You mean to tell me you failed a drug test and the best answer you can give people as to why was some damn chicken? 
Come on, baby, man. Get your ass together. Of course nobody gonna believe you, man. I don't believe you. You didn't believe that when you said it to me, bro. Come on, baby. Look, man. If that is the true and honest answer, I don't know what to say, man. You just cursed. Because no matter what happens at your next job, your next time you gotta work, no one's gonna believe you for the rest of your life. So, man, this is tough. Depending on what you do, don't do the job too well. You know what I'm saying? Because you'll never live it down. Ever. I'm sorry, man. That's unfair if you're telling the truth. But come on, bro. We all know your ass is lying, man. Keep your head low. Hopefully, you still get this job. This next, you know, little match you got for yourself. And you knock it out the park. But forever, you'll be remembered as the guy who failed a drug test. And you'll also, more importantly, be the guy who said you failed said drug test because of some damn wings and a drumstick. All right, man. Next caller. What's your name and where you from? Hey, I can't believe I got through. I really love your show. This is Sean Miller from Arizona, but everyone just calls me coach. I've got a really big problem on my hands, as in the FBI. They're all in my shit, man. First, they're investigating me. They say they're tapping my phones. And now, there are people who want me fired from my really, really cushy gig. I mean, my job is so nice. All I do is lose, and I still get money. Tons and tons of money. What am I supposed to do to get the feds off my back? Man, your job ain't that damn cushy. You got the feds on you, bro. The feds? How do you get the feds on you? I, I, I'm all out of answers. I don't know what to tell you. Matter of fact, you said the feds are tapping your phone. Hang up. How you gonna call me with the feds on you? Asking for help. Man, nah, buddy. You better do Morse code or something. Because I got no answers for you. God bless you, man. But that's what happens. You start bragging to people about how nice your job is. You flexing. And all the while, them people coming for you. Anyway, man, Godspeed. I'm sure they'll love you in Sing Sing. Anyway, that's our time this week for the quarterly report hotline bling call center where we try to answer some of the biggest questions around sports and entertainment. Hopefully we helped out our callers this week. And until next time, we'll see you around. For real, shout out to Sean Miller. You know, I mean, he's going up against CBS and ESPN saying that the fans don't have him on the phone. Let's hope not, because how reckless and how sloppy must you be if, if you're talking directly to the boosters or the agents or whomever talking about you'll handle the payment. Come on, baby. You don't have to watch but so many gangster films to know that you're not supposed like if you the if you the straight guy, if you the clean guy, you're not supposed to be in the room. You're not supposed to touch the dirt. You know what I'm saying? One of the reasons why The Wire is the greatest television show of all time. It can teach you lessons that even if you have no uh, desire to be in any type of criminal enterprise, you'll learn stuff along the way. Sean Miller, man, if, if you ever do get kicked out of your spot in Arizona, what they need to give you is all five seasons of The Wire so you can learn what not to do. You understand? All right, guys, that was halftime. Hopefully you enjoyed that, but... We're looking forward. We're two quarters down, so you know we got two quarters left. We've set our adjustments. Our halftime adjustments are set. We know what we got to do to finish up strong. So let's do so with our third quarter, our special guest, my guy, Troy Macker. He is the senior producer for digital content at NBC Sports Washington and the host of his March-only podcast, Troy Macker. Troy, what's going on, buddy? Nothing much, Armand. 
Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. No doubt, buddy. Um, so we're obviously in March, and everyone is set for a March Madness, but that term, uh, I guess, best describes what's going on with college basketball off the court, and that's where we're going to start. The FBI investigation um, that's been swirling around college hoops is something that I don't know if anyone really ever considered um, when you talk about just how large scale and how severe the potential penalties can be. Um, but every time I hear people discuss the the potential consequences and the fallout from this investigation, there are a lot of times I hear uh, talking heads talking about how this could be the end potentially of the NCAA, if you will. And I don't know, when I hear that, I, I tend to think it's a bit of hyperbole, you know what I mean? Because it's hard for me to envision that this is going, this is what's going to be the death knell of the NCAA. So I'm always cautious when I hear this. So I wanted to ask you, do you foresee this being uh, a potential end of the NCAA as we know it? Or is this just a case of, you know, quote unquote experts pushing their agenda? Yeah, the NCAA investigation is really murky. And because of the way the NCAA has handled things in the past, it's hard to envision this going any smoother. And even with the FBI uh, kind of leading this, you know, the, the NCAA is the governing body, so it will have to, uh, you know, regulate the entire situation. And if you look at even the case of just Sean Miller at Arizona, two Saturdays ago, in the, the second to last week of the season, he was yanked from the sidelines because of all the news coming out. Two days later, there were more reports that maybe the FBI didn't have him on camera. So right now it's a lot of, you know, he said this, he said that. And as is the case, it's going to take people corroborating and whatnot. It could be the downfall of the NCAA, but it will be a long time before that happens because the NCAA procedurally operates and steers at the pace of a cruise ship. And, uh, you know, there's so much of this lies on the underbelly, the seedy side that isn't really, uh, you know, covered by the NCAA in terms of, they can't keep track of it all. So I think you're seeing, uh, you could see a huge shift in amateur athletics from a collegiate standpoint. But if we're thinking that things are going to change in the next month, I think we're sorely mistaken. I do not predict a lot of teams getting sanctioned or penalized before the NCAA tournament. I think this is something we're looking at in the next 8 to 24 months. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy, Troy Macker. He is the senior producer of digital content at NBC Sports Washington and the host of the March Only podcast, a podcast that is solely focused on college basketball. So you're going to want to make sure you check that out. So we just finished discussing, you know, the FBI investigation into the NCAA and all the potential ramifications off the floor that the NCAA may be eyeing. But... We're days away by the time this podcast is released uh, from Selection Sunday. So it's time to have fun because you and everyone else will uh, be filling out more than one bracket, I'm assuming. Uh, so, Troy, what team or teams should everyone keep an eye out on um, for potential bracket busters? Which high-seeded team could potentially go a long distance? Well, I'm actually going to flip it around because that's what everyone looking for is what are the teams that no one's else thinking about but if right. you really want to have success it's 
avoiding disaster. It's being True. smart with the teams you push to the Final Four. And so when I I'm first identify the teams that I think don't have the style of play or don't have the pieces in place to win six games, six random games with minimal preparation, um, to have success in the tournament, you need um, a lead guard who can handle the ball and is unflappable. You need offensive rebounding. You need a coach who has brilliant in-game execution. You need a team that uh, can play at different paces. So the first thing I look at is, honestly, Virginia. Uh, I think Virginia right now is the best team in the country. I don't right. think Virginia can win a final four, uh, national championship because while they spend their entire season controlling teams, uh, dragging them into the deep end, the, the March Madness is a different beast. It's it's and there's no analytics behind it. it. It's it's really a confluence of different vari- variables, like you know not ever having seen any tape of Loyola Chicago and not right. knowing anything about them. You don't have to ever watch Duke play, but you you know enough about Duke that it gives you comfort. Uh, but when you d- you don't know who you're playing, you are getting familiar with the surroundings. You know, as you get to later rounds and you're playing football stadiums, and now you have to work worry about adjusting your shot with 100 yards behind the basket. I don't think Virginia can has a, a style of play that is good for a tournament because any team, whether it's Arkansas State or Nebraska, they can change the pace of play, and you ha- you're not familiar with them. It can. What happens if you get you find yourself down 13 real quick? Right. Virginia doesn't isn't great shooting team. They have a couple gunners, Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome, but they they don't have a high uh, possessions per 100. So I look at teams like Virginia and Purdue as two major teams that I don't have a lot of faith in. Purdue doesn't have a great lead guard. They have an awesome big man, but allow the big man to get buckets. He's only going to get twos, uh, and he's right. not a good free throw shooter. If you're looking for a team that a high team that could make the Final Four, I love Cincinnati. Uh, mm. in, years, in years past, they've had they've had so much grit that it's made up for their lack of talent. And this year, they have talent and grit. And uh, I think the rest of the teams are flawed. I think they're more flawed teams than in years past. So it allows for a team that literally you could punch in the face 15 times, and they're not going to punch. And then I'll give you one of the uh, you know, potential bracket busters, and that's right. Loyola Chicago, who I just mentioned. Uh, first tournament appearance in 35 years. The team shoots a bunch of threes. They play at a fast pace, and they have a decent assist-to-turnover ratio. So that means, you know, they're not going to force teams. They're not going to make a lot of mistakes. They give them opportunities uh, to make big shots and catch up in a hurry. And because they play fast, they're maximizing possessions. Those are the types of things you need to pull off for one game upset. Well, you know what? There you go. You heard it here first. In my opinion, Virginia has the inside track of the overall number one seed. So, you know, Troy's telling you, don't have the Cavs going too far because uh, you don't consider them a uh, team built for success in the big dance. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. And all you all filling out brackets, you know, uh, keep that nugget with you. Um, once again, I'm joined by my guy, Troy Macker. He is the host of the March Only podcast and senior producer of digital content at NBC Sports Washington. So we focused on college basketball, but we're going to switch things up for the last question this week. Um, Dana White has said in recent weeks that the UFC 
had their biggest financial year in 2017. And, you know, I'm a boxing guy, you know this, um, but boxing and UFC, despite the fact that they're both combat sports, then they're, they're still similar and they're always, they're like distant relatives. So even though I'm not a uh, big mixed martial arts fan, you know, you kind of keep an eye out on what's going on over there and I, and I think vice versa. So I'm curious because UFC, man, they've, they've, they've had such great momentum for like 15 plus years now, man. And, and when, when I think of the UFC and I think about the progress they've, they've made in terms of popularity, I, from a, as an outsider, think of, you know, the Chuck Liddell's, the uh, St. Pierre's, the Anderson Silva's, and then obviously, you know, you get to the Holy Trinity, the John Jones, the Ronda Rousey, Rousey's, and Conor McGregor's. But now, you know, John Jones is his own worst enemy. Um, Ronda Rousey, Rousey, excuse me, is a full-time professional wrestler, and God knows what's going on with Conor McGregor. So as it stands right now, who is the face of the UFC? Or, you know, is the, the UFC so big that they don't need one to continue their, their positive momentum? That's what they think. Uh, like you said, Dana White said that 2017 was their most profitable year. And from a money standpoint, he's not wrong. But right. he needs to be looking at uh, new audience growth because a lot of the people who got into UFC – were former pro wrestling fans, like right. myself, who were like, I like pro wrestling, but, you know, Stone Cold's and the Rocks of the World are no longer wrestling, and I'm now a, a somewhat grown adult, and I would like the violence to be a little bit more real. So they deviate to UFC, where you had the characters like Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell, and then you had the traditional mixed martial artists, George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva. Um, they haven't the UFC has not cultivated enough stars because they've taken the individuality away from a lot of the stars. Uh, you know, a lot of people who would fight four or five times on other circuits are now fighting twice. So you just don't have a lot of FaceTime opportunity. Even right. um, with the Reebok sponsorship deal, there's, you don't have, you're not giving these independent contractors the opportunity to make their own money. You're basically, we're going to, value you on a tier system so if you're a tier one fighter you're going to get the most reebok money if you're a tier four fighter you're going to get the least but let's say the tier four fighter is great at self-promoting and has all sorts of ads on his shorts doesn't matter in the ufc you can't wear any you can't wear non-reebok logos so they've done a very very poor job of restocking the tank and i think they've oversaturated the market. I, I love the UFC. It is impossible to keep up uh, and mm. keep up on other sports. Um, yeah. You know, it was easier when there were only 10 pay-per-views a year because right. there was huge hype. There was a month and a half of hype. So you bought into it. You got to know the guys on the other cards. There are times where I forget their fights on because there's so many of them. Um, mm. And the biggest thing for me is the aura of invincibility. We want mm. our champions to be undefeated because right. this is a fight. It's one of the most raw things a human can do. If we see someone knock out somebody else, that guy is the baddest dude on the planet. If that guy loses, then he's gone. Like, it's not yeah. even go to the back of the line thing. We, we, we only want this uh, superhero, so to speak. Like, Bronda Rousey, she yeah. was on top of the world. There were people who were saying, 
no one can get to Tate. Yeah, and it, <laughs> and all it took was one knockout loss, and everything was changed. Uh, yeah. They've they've tried to um, build up people like uh, Sage Northcutt and Paige Van Zant, and they're both clean cut, young, attractive looking people who are good fighters. They're not great fighters, but they they want to control the ecosystem too much. And the reason UFC became so big is because they were allowing these individual characters to craft their own image and voice in this ecosystem. But so this past Saturday, there was a, there was a pay-per-view at the same time that Deontay Wilder was fighting and Frankie Edgar, who's a longtime stalwart, former light heavyweight champion, never been finished, really good dude. He got obliterated by a lightweight named uh, Brian Ortega. And lightweights are 155, 165. And Brian Ortega is 5'11". And he Mm. hit Frankie Edgar so hard with an uppercut that Frankie Edgar left his feet. This is a guy who has never been finished, who's only lost three times, who's beaten BJ Penn twice, who's beaten Gray Maynard, who's beaten a who's who. And he was knocked unconscious by this guy, Brian Ortega, undefeated fighter. He's a name to look for. Uh, there really isn't a face. Uh, there are good champions. You know, the Khabib Nurmagomedov, uh, Tony, Tony Ferguson fight for the interim lightweight title is going to be awesome. Khabib Nurmagomedov, 23-0, never lost, hasn't fought in, in two years because of injuries. Tony Ferguson only lost once, and it was an injury. He isn't a big name. So if you're a fight fan, it's going to be an awesome fight. So awesome. But – the UFC is a niche sport. How do you get people to buy in? You, you need your Ronda Rouseys. You need your yeah. Brock Lesnar's. You yeah. need your former football players. It, it's, if you're not going to cultivate talent yourself, you need those superstar attractions, and they're not there anymore. And so, you know, like, with Anderson Silva not being uh, at the top of his game, and George St. Pierre, who, God knows what, and losing out on Conor McGregor, I mean – it's in a not great place. And for Dana White to say that they've had their most successful year, yeah, you've, you've made a lot of money. But I think you're going to see a, a slow decline in popularity because we want to see superheroes, and they don't have any superheroes. And there you have it. That's uh, the NCAA FBI investigation, some helpful hints in filling out your bracket, and uh, – some nuggets on the UFC. Not too many people can give you that in one interview, but my guy Troy Macker just did. Once again, make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Troy Macker. He is the senior producer of digital content at NBC Sports Washington and the host of the March Only Podcast. Troy, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Yeah, man, it's great talking to you. Have a good one. Thanks again to my guy Troy, who broke down so much relating to college hoops. But we're going to stay in that same realm as we finish up strong with our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. The NBA's one-and-done rule has been a rule that I've never enjoyed. I never liked. I mean, this is back in the David Stern era, and we all know David Stern, man, he was a totalitarian. You know, he didn't play. He ran the NBA with an iron fist. And I I think maybe no rule better kind of exemplifies the type of commissioner that David Stern was. And we can get into David Stern at a later time, but I never felt that the rule made sense. You know, at the time the rule was implemented, the best players in the league didn't go to college, you know? 
So you're basically cutting off or you're you're forcing right the best and the most marketable to go to school and then to make a kind of a joke or I shouldn't say a joke because the NCAA does a good job of making itself a joke, but makes the entire the the, the concept of student ath athletes a even bigger joke, right? Because you're forcing people who otherwise could earn millions of dollars into a school with no, right? Well, I shouldn't say all of them, but with many of them, right? And we all know the big name guys each year. We know like on, uh, you know, signing day or whatever the case may be, we know the guys who are only going to go one year. Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, barring injury, God forbid, you know, luckily we haven't had any like catastrophic injury um, in college with one of these high profile um, blue chip prospects. But we've we've come close. I mean, Joel and B got hurt like at the end of his season. And uh, the, the young man from Missouri, his name escapes me right now. He he hasn't played thus far. And the idea and again, you guys listen to the show, you know, I'm all about capitalism, man. If you can earn, if you have a trade or a set of skills that you can earn money, you should be able to get it. Like there's nothing more un-American than forcing people who are capable NBA players, capable. And a team would be willing that I mean, the perfect idea is this. If right now, um, all these top NCAA freshmen, if you were to have them like a free draft right now, are you telling me that NC or the NBA teams wouldn't give them a contract? If there was like right now, like for one day only, like an unlimited amount of cap space and any team could sign any of these players who are playing currently in college basketball. I mean, Aiden and all these kids, all these top notch prospects would, would be signed. They absolutely would. But for whatever reason, we've made it that they have to wait an extra year to get money, which is crazy. And like, I, I never understood that idea. And there's so many people who talk about how, you know, the one and done or the high school, straight to high school, the NBA prospects, they ruin the game and how it's it's difficult and teams are scared off by all these players and all these all these excuses. People forget general managers make millions of dollars. Not to me. And let's not forget these European players, these players who are coming overseas. They're not going to college. They're, they're young. Like Tony Parker came in the league at 18. You know what I mean? Giannis. I don't even know how like Giannis is. I think he's 23 right now. He's been in the league. God knows how long he's been in the league. You understand what I'm saying? So the idea is absurd. And I and, and and people would support the 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 one and done rule, if you will, or the elimination of the high school straight to the pro rule by saying, you know, everybody's not gonna be Kobe, everybody's not gonna be Kevin Garnett, you know, LeBron James. And you're right. Obviously, these are like some of the greatest basketball players ever. But when you look at the players who did come out of high school straight to the pros. And you see just the, the percentage of them who were like generational talents. 
Like, what could LeBron, what could college, what could college have done for LeBron? You know what I mean? Seriously. Whether we're talking about on the floor or off the floor, because we've seen what LeBron has done off the basketball court, which is maybe even more impressive than his basketball talents. He has brought his friends along with him, and now they are movers and shakers in Hollywood and across all entertainment platforms. He did that with his friends. They had the business acumen without a college education. You look at some of the, the most successful people in this world. They either went to, they, they had limited or no college experience. And other leagues, you know, other leagues have these farm systems where baseball players, they don't have to go to college. Hockey players, all these other leagues have um, a mechanism in place that does not force people who do not want to go to school, people who are willing and, and have the ability to make money, right? There is a skill, supply and demand, basic fundamentals of capitalism, right? There are players who have, who meet the demand, but we are we're preventing them from earning money as soon as they could. It just makes no sense to me. So I, when earlier this week, Adam Silver talked about, you know, investing more and making the G League, the NBA's developmental league, a, uh, a higher priority. I was, I was ecstatic because that's exactly what the NBA needs to do. You know, stop playing around. I mean, look, the NCAA is, is helpful to basketball, to the professional NBA. I mean, let's not, let's not fool ourselves, right? It's a free um, marketing campaign, essentially, right? You know these players, and then when they come into the NBA, many of them are stars, but the what, what the one-and-done rule did, that these kids, you don't, you, the NCAA doesn't really market them. I mean, they do to an extent, but the fan bases know that they're only going to enjoy these guys for a matter of months. So there really isn't like this investment that it once was back in the quote unquote good old days. You know what I mean? So it, it messes up the NCAA game. And now you have all these FBI investigations and all these programs, you know, getting dirty. And that's not to say that these programs weren't always dirty, but I can only imagine how how things have has escalated over the past, you know, decade plus of this rule being implemented. Maybe two decades now. You know, and all this stuff ties in together. So I'm I'm happy that the NBA is starting to invest in their G League and like making giving these kids options to actually get money because this college system. I mean, I was talking to Troy just in the last quarter. It's it's flawed, and I don't know. I don't want to sound like you know the overly dramatic, you know, talking head, but. Their system doesn't seem like it's sustainable for much longer. So you might as well get on to it. And, you know, I, I, I ripped Mark Cuban last week on the show, but I got to give him credit in this aspect. He was calling for the NBA to be more creative and more progressive as it pertains to their developmental league years ago. Years ago. And, like, the NCAA could get involved. Now, people will forget. The one and done rule is an NBA rule. The NCAA has no, they have no say in that. The NBA implemented this rule. But the NBA and the NCAA can work together. They should, right? Because it, it benefits both of them. 
Like the whole idea that if you enter the draft and if you get an agent and the whole thing and you don't get drafted, you can't come back. You, you lose your college el- eligibility. I mean, why? You know what I mean? They like have have some rule implemented that if you don't get drafted, you have to sign a contract, right? And that you have to go to school and meet the NCAA standards or whatever uh, governing body that is that will be there. You know, if the NCAA does fall, and like, yo, I if if I do, you know, if I don't get drafted, I have to go to school and I have to go to school for three years or four years, whatever the case may be. Write it up, have it be a contract, so that there is a certain level of you know a procedure there that can correct itself because. Keeping guys who would otherwise be able to play in the league for one year, like what good does that do? And you're taking pressure off of general managers. Like the the excuse was always it's hard for NBA teams to draft these guys because they don't know what they're getting. Well, that's part of scouting. (laughs) You know, again, these guys make a lot of money when, when NBA players and when coaches or any other job for that matter, when someone doesn't do their job well, you don't make excuses for them. You find people who can do it. You know? I mean, the whole thing was silly. The whole thing was silly. Especially considering how other leagues have always had this. And then that raises questions about all that opens up a Pandora Pandora's box, right? Of all other types of questions that are far more senator, sinister, excuse me. So it's in best and everyone's best interest. Because again, if you if you say that the the high school straight to pro guys, you know, that you can't use the LeBrons and you can't use the KGs and Kobe's and the Dwight's. Like, okay, if you don't want to use them, fine, don't use them. But then you forget about the Lou Williams. Lou Williams came straight into the pros as a high school. And all these years later, he should have been an all-star this year. You forget about the Jermaine O'Neal's, the Rashard Lewis's, right? Amir Johnson is still in the, in the league right now. Monte Ellis. Like, they're all these guys, Al Harrington, all these guys who had very good NBA careers, prolonged NBA careers. Al Jefferson, like really talented players. That were, and we're not talking about the all-time greats. We're talking about the meat, like the average. You know, for every, and like people use Kwame Brown as an example of an awful high school to pro guy. But that's not the case. Kwame Brown played in the NBA for over a decade. Started for multiple playoff teams. He had a really good NBA career. You know, put Kwame Brown's career up against Jimmer Fredette's, someone who went to college for four years. You know, you understand what I'm saying? So the idea that the 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 one and done or the college or the high school straight to pro, that it hurt the NBA, it's crazy. Look, look at the NBA right now. The best players, with the exception of a few handful, only went to college because they had to. And that's not factoring in guys like LeBron and, and Giannis who didn't go all together. You know, it's funny. It's funny, man. Like, again, man, when people make foolish arguments, you know, you like I always say, man, you got to find out, like, what's the agenda? When, when smart people sound dumb, you got to ask yourself, what's the agenda? And anytime I hear people defending the one-and-done rule or defending – making guys who otherwise would be playing in the league and who are capable of playing in the league, forcing them to go to college where they're not being paid. You got to question like, man, what's going on and why they don't say that in other sports. You have to question it because it doesn't add up. 
It doesn't make sense. And the idea that, yeah, you're getting a free education, that's your payment. Ask yourself this question. How many people do you know who currently have a degree or multiple degrees who are either underemployed or unemployed? The workplace is far more competitive now. So saying that you got a degree and that's your payment or you had a free ride, an education that you didn't even want, right? And that's somehow your payment. Although many of these guys and gals are bringing in hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to these programs. How silly does that sound? We're not living in 1985 anymore where a college degree assures you, you know, a six-figure salary and the American dream fulfilled. No, it's different now. So I'm happy that the NBA is starting to invest in their developmental league. I'm happy that this FBI investigation is happening to the NCAA that is forcing everyone to really consider, man, should we be paying players? Because all these things in my mind, if you are a true capitalist, these are easy questions to have. If you are earning, if you have the ability to earn money, yes, you should be paid, compensated. It's the American way. All right, guys, hopefully you enjoyed this show. Again, three weeks away from episode 50. That's crazy to me. But if you're listening to the show since day one, I want to I thank you so much, and I appreciate you for rocking with me so long. And if this is your first time listening to the episode or to the show, I thank you as well, and hopefully you enjoyed it. I want to let you know that there are plenty of ways that you can reach out to me in the show, starting with Twitter. We're at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. You can email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. And of course, subscribe and review the show on the Apple Podcast app or on iTunes or on uh, Spotify, wherever Google Play, wherever you listen to a podcast, you can subscribe and review the show there. We're also uh, on Instagram. We have an Instagram page, Quarterly Report. A lot of fun stuff there that you can check out. Some behind-the-scenes um, parts or deleted sound from the interview, stuff that didn't make the show but are still really interesting and fascinating. Check out all that stuff. Check out my Wire NBA comparisons. A lot of fun stuff on the page. We're at Quarterly Report on Instagram. All right, guys. Thank you so much for rocking with me for about an hour and 15 minutes. I'll see you back here next week. Enjoy your brackets. Make sure you guys enjoy March Madness. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Quarterly Report.